are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Are you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? Well, I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Phidia, the youngest brother of four sisters on the Outer Rim planet, Zane Carrick was, by all accounts, unremarkable. His father was a marginally wealthy, if not nondescript, banker, and mother was a gardener. Despite his meager roots, Zane would go on to experience an extraordinary life and cross paths with legendary figures during the Mandalorian Wars. A Young Padawan Zane was identified early on as having marginal force sensitivity and was brought to be trained by the Jedi Order on Dantooine. Despite not being particularly adept with the force, he showed an ability to make friends easily and was taken into the Order despite some hesitation from his mother, Reva, who worried for her son's safety. His training eventually brought him to Terrace to study under Jedi Master Lucian Dre at the Jedi Tower a tall structure that doubled as a Jedi Academy on the world. On Terrace, a young Zane would cross paths with Alec Squint Squinquergesimus, who would later become the infamous Darth Malak. Alec had been recruiting Jedi to join the Revenkists against the Mandalorians and sensed Zane would have a powerful role to play in the near future. Zane declined the offer as his master and the other Jedi on Terrace believed the threat of the return of the Sith to be a much greater concern, and saw the war as a mere distraction. Shortly after his meeting with Alec, Zane and his four Padawan companions underwent a contest, after which their masters announced a knighting ceremony would take place, but did not announce which candidates had been selected. Zane, having performed less adequately than his peers, finishing last, doubted he would be selected for ascension to knighthood, but decided to support his peers. However, due to a side errand capturing a notable black marketeer that had long eluded the Padawan, Zane had arrived late to the knighting ceremony. To his shock and horror, he bore witness to five Jedi masters, including his own Lucian, killing their own Padawans. Masters that had raised and taught the young Jedi aspirants had become their murderers. Filled with the shock and horror, Zane fled and evaded his masters, fleeing to Taurus's underworld with none other than Griff Hierophant. 
the Black Marketeer Arch Nemesis. Laying low, the Jedi Masters had publicly framed Zane and Griff for their murders, instigating a galaxy-wide manhunt for the fugitive Jedi and his alleged accomplice. The event would be known as the Padawan Massacre and would burrow itself into the public consciousness as a heinous and depraved act, spurring local authorities to assist the Jedi in bringing the murderer to justice. Denial. Deeply disturbed by what he had witnessed, Zane attempted to rationalize what he had seen, even attempting to justify the actions of Jedi Masters, but unable to convince himself as to why they would do such an extreme and heinous act. Attempting to reach out to other Jedi, even Master Vandar Toker on the High Council, but to no avail as Vandar attempted to persuade the fugitive Padawan to turn himself in. Zane, running out of options and in an increasingly hopeless situation, decided to retrace his journey as a Padawan to find some clue as to why his master would betray him. He soon found himself aboard The Last Resort, a space transport owned and operated by Gorman Camper Vandrake, a former Arcanian scientist turned vagabond, and his companion Jariel. Using his natural charm, Zane was able to befriend the distrustful Jariel and the four companions found themselves on the moon where the final trials had occurred before the massacre. Zane discovered another party member, a defunct droid T1LB or LB, who had been intentionally scuttled by the Jedi Masters as a droid had inadvertently witnessed and recorded their conversations and plot. After a close encounter with his former master and Republic forces, as well as bounty hunters, Zane discovered from LB that the four Jedi Masters had received a terrible vision of a returning Sith Lord encased in red armor, killing each of them in turn. His Masters had concluded that one of their Padawans was destined for this dark future, and had agreed to kill all of them to prevent even one of them becoming a Sith Lord and ushering in a new Age of Darkness. After a series of events, Zane, Griff, Zeriel, Elby, and Camper fled Terrace, issuing a false prophecy to the five Jedi Masters. Zane told them that four of them were now marked for death, and that the surviving master would have to confess the crimes that they had all shared in, with the intent of having each of the Jedi Masters turn on one another, as he had not specified which master would survive. Still a wanted fugitive by the Jedi and the Republic, Zane and his crew moved to the planet Vanquo on the edge of the Republic space, scratching out a living as thieves. It was here that the Mandalorians began to assault the worlds of the Republic, and the world was quickly besieged. During the attack, Zane was able to befriend a Mandalorian deserter named Rohan. Roland Dyer, at the same time, 
Jareel had been taken captive by the Mandalorians. Rolon agreed to help the diasporic band. The Arkinian had been taken to the Flashpoint Station, once a Republic Stellar Research Laboratory that had been captured by the Mandalorians and turned into an experimental facility. Demigol, a Mandalorian scientist, had been obsessed with the Force and had used the station to torture and research Jedi Crusaders captured on the front lines. Zane and Rolan were able to infiltrate the station, where Zane was able to publicly fake his death and temporarily adopt the guise of Demigol while he had been in prison within his own facility. Zane, Roland, Jareel, and surviving Jedi captives were able to escape Flashpoint Station and destroy the facility. Shortly after, Zane and company, living a low profile and impoverished lives, attempted to withdraw funds Griff held in secret, the proceeds of his criminal activity. The event escalated when Zane's father, the banker, who was to give them the funds, was abducted by a notorious bounty hunter duo, the Mumo brothers. Zane would later discover that the ploy was orchestrated by one of the murderous Jedi masters, Rana Tay, in an attempt to lure Zane out of hiding. Zane vowed to hunt down Rana for using his family to get at him. Through the ordeal, the group had also discovered that Zane's former master, Lucian Dre, had been using his family connections through the Dre Trust to manipulate several banks to achieve the aims of the rogue Jedi. Carrick was able to arrange safe passage for his father to Dantooine, where the Jedi Council would provide refuge for his family, even if he was still wanted. Bargaining. Zane and Griff parted ways with the rest of their company and had stowed away amid a Republic fleet. Assuming false identities and inadvertently serving as a mobile restaurant for soldiers at a Republic staging area, the duo would soon find themselves crossing paths with Karth Onassi and Admiral Saul Carith over the planet Soreko. Having a vision of an impending Mandalorian attack, Zane exposed himself as a Jedi to warn the Republic forces. Saul Carith recognized Zane as the alleged murderer of Terrus and attempted to arrest him, but the Mandalorian attack Zane had predicted commenced, catching the Republic forces largely unprepared. The Mandalorians fired a barrage of nuclear weapons at civilian targets on the world's surface, and Carthonasi, believing Zane's predictions, set off tornado warnings in the urban centers forcing civilians to take shelter, saving many lives, though the nuclear attack would still take its toll. Though the Republic would retreat, Zane was taken into custody, but would be temporarily released to help Saul and Karth escape a Mandalorian attack on their ship. The three were intercepted on their course to turn the young Jedi renegade over to his master. The Adaska Biomechanical Corporation of Arcania, known simply as Adascorp, had summoned the Republic representatives 
with the promise of a weapon that could turn the tide of the Mandalorian War. Saul and Karth agreed to the meeting and took their prisoner with them. Adascorp was an Arcanian corporation heavily involved in bioengineering and medical research and had strong financial ties to Zerka Corporation and the Dre Trust. The trio arrived on the Arcanian Legacy, a massive capital ship that served as a headquarters for Adascorp, and Zane was transferred to a holding cell. Jariel, Zane's companion from Terrace and, Arcan and an Arcanian, was, to Carrick's surprise, aboard the ship and briefly spoke with Zane about her and Camper's situation aboard the vessel before being taken into custody. Zane learned that Camper, whose real name was Gorman Vandrake, was being held in service to Adascorp after having escaped the megacorporation years ago. Gorman was the leading scientist on Exogorths, and the leader of Adascorp had planned on weaponizing the giant space worms through mind control and ultimately desiring to rule a galaxy through controlling the Mandalorians or the Republic through these armaments. Despite this knowledge, Zane, still a captive, was unable to immediately assist, though he was now motivated to escape. Further complicating matters, Zane's former master had been captured by Adascorp, and the two had been bound together. Agreeing to mutual aid, and suspending their current vendettas in the face of a new enemy in Adascorp, the pair escaped their confines. Aboard the Arcanian Legacy, Lord Adaska, head of Adascorp, had invited members of the Mandalorians, including Mandalore the Ultimate himself, as well as Republic representatives to bid on the new Exegorth-based weapons. Zane, with the assistance of his crew, including the rogue Mandalorian Roland Dyer, instigated a fight between the Mandalorians and Republic forces aboard the vessel, leading to an all-out battle that destroyed the Arcanian Legacy and the vital research and technology used to control the Exogorths. Lord Adaska was killed as well as all parties were able to disengage in the chaos, including Zane and his companions who Karth allowed to escape. Zane had almost bargained his life for his friends when Lucian offered a means to escape the doomed Arcanian legacy. However, Zane was saved by the Mumo bounty hunters and the Trandoshan Slisk, who had been sent by Griff having been separated from Zane since the Mandalorian attack at Sereko. Depression Escaping with the Bounty Hunters Zane was informed that Griff had survived the Mandalorian attack and had made his way back to Terrace. However, the world was suffering amidst a Mandalorian siege. Griff, alongside underworld gangs and other freedom fighters, had developed a resistance network to fight back against the occupation. Zane would return to the world and reunite with his old nemesis turned friend and become embroiled in the war effort. Terrace had become a war zone, replete with death, chaos, and destruction, a deranged reflection of the world he had escaped not so long ago. Here, Carrick would meet members of the Resistance, including the Hidden Bex gang and underworlders such as Biff and Mission Vow, who would influence galactic history on their own. Carrick was able to help coordinate the gangs with the Resistance, 
and the remnants of the Teresian government, who agreed to drop their criminal pursuit of Zane for his assistance against the Mandalorian occupation. Amidst the struggle against Cassius Fett, who was leading the siege, Carrick was also backstabbed by a childhood friend, Shell Jelavan, whose brother had been one of the murdered Padawans that Carrick had been framed for. Jedi Master Rana Tay had convinced Jelavan to murder Carrick. However, after proving his innocence and proving that it was in fact Rana Tay and the other Jedi Masters that murdered her brother and the other Padawans, Jelavan turned on the Jedi Master and attacked her instead, saving Zane's life. Rana Tay would survive the lightsaber blow but was soon crushed under the, the destruction of the Jedi Temple they had infiltrated amidst a Mandalorian onslaught. Before her death, she revealed that she had been in the service of another Jedi Master, Kyrnda, and this gave Zane a new lead. Zane and Griff made their way back to the lower depths of Taurus into the Undercity. There, amongst the poverty-stricken and dangerous rack ghouls, they encountered a Jedi Master named Celeste Morn. She had been dispatched by a secret cabal of Jedi to a recovery of a Sith artifact known as the Muir Talisman. She had also been dispatched to find Zane. However, after getting to know him, she questioned whether he had the aptitude to commit the murders he was being accused of. The trio soon found that the Mandalorians excavating the Undercity had discovered the Mirror Talisman first. They followed it as the Mandalorians transferred it off-world and arrived on the ice-covered world of Jebel. They discovered a Mandalorian staging area, preparing to launch an assault on Alderaan and the Core Worlds. As the trio went on trying to alert the Republic, they had also successfully passed themselves off as new Mandalorian recruits and were able to operate behind enemy lines. Despite their advantages, many of the Mandalorians they encountered were exhibiting signs of illness before succumbing to the Rak Ghoul Plague. Mandalorian after Mandalorian mutated into the bloodthirsty monsters, and chaos ensued among the ranks. Realizing that the camp had been compromised, Zane successfully convinced Cassius Fett to quarantine the world to prevent the outbreak from spreading across both Republic and Mandalorian space. Meanwhile, Celeste received orders from Lucian to kill his former pupil. However, Celeste remained skeptical that Zane would commit such acts of raw violence especially after witnessing him try to prevent the plague from spreading. Ultimately, Zane was detained by the Mandalorian forces, where they encountered Pulsifer, an acolyte of Demogol, and obsessed with Force relics. They discovered that the Mirror Talisman had been created by an ancient Sith that would grant its wielder power over others turning them into subservient Ratgul thralls. While Pulsifer was wielding the talisman, 
the jeweled device had a will of its own and detached itself from the mad Mandalorian and attempted to clasp itself around Zane, sensing his force aptitude. Celeste intercepted the device and ordered it to go to her, where it secured herself it's itself around her neck as an ornamented choker. No longer in control of the Rakuls, the creatures ripped Pulsifer apart, and Celeste was overwhelmed by the power that she now had. She had been overcome with dark side energy and began physically ordering the Rakuls to attack all the Mandalorians on the world. Struggling with her darker instincts, she revealed that the Jedi Master Kyrnda was in fact Lucian's mother and leader of a secret order of Jedi known as the Covenant. Celeste, feeling herself being lost to the dark side, asked Zane to strike her down. However, Zane opted to seal her in an ovulet that would hold her in stasis. As soon as this was done, the Rakghuls devolved into mindless monsters and began rampaging across the world and against each other. Zane and Griff were rescued by Jareel. Alec, Roland, Slisk, Shell, and the Mumo brothers, while Cassius Fett arrived with the Mandalorian fleet, nuking the world to obliterate the rat ghouls, killing everything, including surviving Mandalorians. Zane was horrified by the Holocaust and lamented not being able to save Celeste, being forced to abandon her in her crypt on the planet. Acceptance. Now armed with the information Celeste had given him about the secret cabal within the Jedi Order, Zane set off to expose them for the monsters that killed their Padawans and destroyed his reputation as a fledgling Jedi. He set out to gather evidence of the Covenant, finding the secret location that they had been collecting and storing Sith artifacts, such as the one Celeste had been sent to acquire. They infiltrated the Sanctum of the Exalted, and began recording their discoveries before being captured by Covenant researchers and warriors. Here, Zane encountered the second treacherous master who killed his Padawan, Feln, a Fiorin Jedi who was an exalted leader and prolific warrior amongst his own people before joining the Jedi. Calculating the exposure of the Sith artifacts and the Covenant to higher risk, the Sanctum and all its secrets were destroyed in a self-destructive blast while Zane dueled with the rogue Jedi master. The destruction devastated the village that surrounded it, killing many of Master Felon's own people. Although Felon set off the detonation, he held Carrick responsible for the destruction that he had wrought. Angered by what Felon had done, however, the Fiorian turned against their leader, ganging up and killing him. Having salvaged a handful of Sith artifacts, Zane and his band of misfits aimed themselves at Coruscant to reveal the truth of the Covenant Cabal to the rest of the Jedi Order having enlisted the help of a High Council member, Vruk Lamar, and Vandar Toker. Zane, however, remained wanted by the Republic, and with a little help from Carthonasi, who is now leading a Starfighter squadron around Coruscant, was able to evade capture. 
Despite this, they were still detained by Jedi Master Zamar, third member of the cabal of killer masters who brought Zane and his allies before the council as a prisoner. Master Zamar had cha a change of heart, having seen the continued depths that the Covenant would go to to try and stop the Sith from re-emerging, themselves becoming more and more tainted by the dark side, and committing greater atrocities than ones they claimed to prevent. He revealed the truth to the council, vindicating Zane and absolving him of the alleged murders. Plotting to go after the Covenant and Jedi Master Corinda, Zane arrived at the Dre estate pretending to be under the influence of the dark side to draw her out. Instead, he was met with her son and Carrick's former master Lucian, and their steward Hazen, a failed Padawan that served the Dre family. Here, the truth became fully revealed. Although the Covenant had been started with noble intentions by Master Corinda Dre, after the death of her husband and seeing the devastation wrought by the Sith War, she had been subtly manipulated by the failed Padawan Hazen, who had turned to the dark side after his failure as a Jedi. He plotted to take over the Covenant and subvert the Jedi Order from within. Master Corinda had grown ill and was placed in stasis to preserve her life, but detached her from the ongoings of the Covenant. Hazen would then take control and direct the Covenant to greater and greater acts of darkness. With the ploy revealed, a battle broke out between a Jedi strike team and Hazen and members of the Covenant. Zane, working with his former master now, was able to subdue Hazen, and Master Lucian Dre directed an orbital blast, sacrificing himself to take out Hazen. However, unbeknownst to the Jedi, Lucian Dre would survive the blast. With the threat of the Covenant finally broken, and Zane's reputation restored, he was offered a place back in the ranks of the Jedi Order. However, Zane declined the offer, having spent too much time amongst his friends, including Griff, who he felt a greater loyalty to. They would go on to found an organization called the Rogue Moon Project, with the help of families of the slain Padawans, to offer a service to common people who might be hurt by the actions of the Jedi, or wrongly convicted of crimes. He and his band of misfits would go on to continue to pull off cons, usually against those that they thought deserved it, and even brought down a massive intergalactic slaving operation. flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon 
So if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. And welcome again aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Christian. This is Jordan. And we are currently parked in the lower depths of the Undercity of Terrace. Uh, still here, still exploring, still seeing what uh, uncovered gems are down And here. betting on swoop races, of course. <laughs> of course. And Rakul fights. <laughs> <laughs> um, some points to talk about here. Zane Carrick. Um, he's an interesting character. Um, for people who are not familiar with him, he's from the Knights of the, the Old Republic comic book series um, that was released shortly after the video games, but before the MMO. Um, some cool, interesting things to note about him. Uh, he isn't particularly strong with the force, which is noted in the episode, um, but he does seem to be very lucky. And one idea is that, well, his luck kind of flip flops. He and I'll say uh, this is <coughs> episode is being released very close to St. Patrick's Day, so <laughs> oh, there you go. It was all done on purpose. <laughs> yeah, his luck flip flops a lot um, because he. He doesn't necessarily know he's doing it willingly, but he's using the force subtly to influence his situations. But because he's also not he's particularly gifted with the force, they do also tend to backfire. So he'll sometimes like get into a situation that's very positive, but it will always have like an equal and opposite counter reaction that is maybe negative, which is kind of like a funny running theme throughout like his encounters and adventures. Um, the story the way it's written kind of mirrors the Kotor, KOTOR video games um, yeah. with kind of the party assembly aspect. I even kind of use that language in it. Yeah. Um, always referring to the band of misfits and, and whatnot. It is interesting because Griff, I believe, appears in the video games, doesn't he? It's a different Griff. Oh, it yeah. is. Okay. But, oh, sorry. So there's two Griffs. There's <laughs> okay. Griff Herophant uh, or Hero. I don't know how to say his name. Um, yeah. He's... He's like Zane's like right hand man, ex criminal right. turn like sidekick. Okay. Um, although Griff sees it the other way around and Zane is his sidekick. Um, <laughs> and then there's Griff who's Mission's brother. Right. Mission Vow's brother. Uh, who they encounter in the comics. Yeah. Oh, that's strange. So, so that's actually something I was gonna bring up next. Okay. Um a lot of the characters, Carthonassi, Alec, right. Malik, yeah. Squigermarius. <laughs> he has a very long last name that's hard to say. Um, they call him Squint. He encounters a lot of characters of high importance from the video game throughout his journeys himself. Um, and I'm going to get into a little bit of that later. Um, but it is an interesting thing to note. It, it is sort of like they used Zane Carrick's story to add some texture to some of the other characters, you know? Yeah, I I had mixed feelings when I first read the comic series myself. Um I thought it was like too coincidental that like, oh, yeah, you know, marketing. <laughs> yeah. This one guy runs into crosses paths with all the great heroes that we, you know. Um, but I'll delve into that a little bit more later because at first I really didn't like it and I've kind of warmed to it 
when we delve into that that portion of it. But we'll, okay. we'll come back to this idea. So just keep it in the back of your head. I also just want to note uh, that both the Griffs names are Griffs, like Grift with a T. Yeah. It, it does seem to be alluding to that because that's they're both kind of hux, hucksters. Hucksters, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, although they're spelled differently. One griff is with a Y-P-H and the other is I-F-F. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah you could imagine they're both. Do you, did you did you find out why they both have the same name? Or no, and you don't actually get that. I think it's just coincidental because uh. <laughs> you don't get a lot of that in It's a very common name. <laughs> yeah. you know? Everyone's it's a like gr- John. <laughs> but in Star Wars, though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. If you were kind of tracking the headings of each of these titles, two of the sections of our scripted portion, um, they follow the pattern of the stages of grief. Um, and it was intentionally done by the author who kind of like wrote the first number of issues. I think like the first, I, I don't know exactly how many stages of grief there are. It depends who you talk to. There's okay. either five or seven. And anyways, he refers to like, I think the first five yeah issues as like the stages of grief as Carrick goes through the process of like letting go of his old life witnessing a super tragic event the death of his friends and padawans fellow padawans and then kind of like processing that until he reaches like a stage of acceptance which i thought was really cool um from the art artistic perspective of it and i kind of wanted to mirror that throughout the episode too but um yeah um so there is a an interesting, I think, coincidence with the new stuff. I don't think it was a direct comparison from the Disney canon, but a huge kind of trigger for the story is the vis- a dark vision that triggers like an overreaction by the Jedi that leads, in this case, actually has the opposite effect. It doesn't lead someone to the dark side. So if you haven't guessed already, Kylo Ren is in a very similar situation where Luke has a vision of a dark Lord and he decides to act and then it dri- it actually drives Kylo into the dark side. Whereas in this case, the dark vision maybe expels Zane from his path as a Jedi, but Zane still is like good hearted and good natured and doesn't allow that to actually turn him into a Sith. Yeah. Um, which I thought was just an interesting coincidence, I guess. And one is a in- more interesting way of doing it and makes more sense. Like these Jedi who had this vision are already like a dark side cabal within the Jedi order. And they're, they're pointed as being bad. Like this is bad. They're not yeah. doing good things, which I thought was a cool take to have Jedi doing dark things for the greater good. And that was it thing, was Anakin Skywalker LARPing as these people when he <laughs> killed all those Padawans? Or? Yeah. No, this was thousands of years before that. No, I know, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like maybe he read about this. <laughs> he story. read about this and he's like, it I'm going to mimic this. Yeah, it's like, don't come to school tomorrow. <laughs> it's like when like someone reads like the Columbine kid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't come to school tomorrow. Shows a picture of a lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> On some meme page. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. It's so, a copycat. Yeah, they um, I do like the theme of doing bad things in the name of a greater good. I think that's a lesson that we could all learn from in real life. It always brings uh, uh, big ethical questions and moral ambiguities and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And this a lot of the Jedi definitely do not have their hands clean. They're involved in some dark stuff and they're doing it in the name of a good cause. They don't want the Sith to return, 
but they're committing heinous acts like killing children essentially to prevent a new sith lord from coming they're like well like what's worse what's the sith gonna do right kill children too like how are you (laughs) better than they are so just a an interesting thing Okay, going back to the narrative coincidences, let's say, of the cameos of all the different characters that you cross paths with. Um, So there's a couple of angles you could play at with this. One, in the world where the Force exists and kind of, I guess, a line of fate exists, you could say that maybe the Force is making these paths cross. Uh, And again, alluding to Zane's, like, affinity for making kind of like lucky things happen his luck and the force influences these intersections of all these like great his quote-unquote historical figures um keep in mind also i should mention that the comic series actually takes place before the first game right right yeah yeah Yeah. in case that wasn't clear Um, yeah like a few years before yeah so so these people that he's crossing paths with aren't the people that you will come to recognize later. They're not particularly necessarily well-known ne- right. or, you know, depending on the context, I think Alec was always fairly well-known, but yeah. he wasn't the Darth Malak that was like a gal- galactic terror. He's just a Jedi on a crusade yeah. under Revan. And even like, it's cool in this series, you get to see Revan's, um, he crosses paths with Revan and Revan's like evolution from like a, a Jedi on a noble crusade to like adopting the mask and all that stuff. is It's very cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would also say is coincidences, crazy coincidences do happen in real life too, where like weird figures, historical figures will, will cross paths. And I'll just mention a couple that are interesting. Um, the John Wilkes Booth who killed Abraham Lincoln, this is going kind of off off topic but i just want to point to like yeah these real life weird random coincidences happen anyway um lincoln's brother um who is already a famous stage actor in the united states um saved lincoln's son uh from accidentally getting hit by a train okay and then his brother would go on to assassinate his father but like in completely unrelated (laughs) circumstances weird uh Abraham Lincoln's son was at a train station. He was like not paying attention. He, he stumbled onto a train track before a train came. And, j- and again, this is a public place. Like any random stranger could have grabbed him and pulled him off the tracks. And it just happened to be John Wilkes Booth's brother. Huh. And they <laughs> saved his life. Yeah. <laughs> and then his brother would go on to kill his dad. Um, There's a guy in Japan who happened to be both at Hiroshima and at Nagasaki. Um, for people that don't know, though, they were dropped on different days, like three days apart, and he survived both nuclear blasts. <laughs> so maybe he's unlucky in his, in his experience of. He's like, he got dropped in, on one. I got to leave this. Yeah, city. that's literally what happened. He went. So he was from. I can't remember which one was first, Roshan or yeah, Nagasaki, but he was from one of them. He's at the other one for work. He's there when it gets bombed. Like it's horrific. Like he describes what happened. Like his, you know, on the ground perspective, what happens was pretty horrific. Yeah. But he's like all burned up. He's all beaten up. He's like, okay, I'm going to go home back to my family. And like three days later, another new kits. Uh, And surprisingly, he survives both. So, yeah. So weird, like, uh, things happen like that. There are two twins in the States that and who grew up apart. And they both had very similar lives, even though they lived separately. Um, Both men had married twice. 
both their first wives were named Delinda. Their second wives were named Betty. <laughs> they both had one son each, and they named both their sons James Allen. <laughs> and they drove the same car, had similar jobs, <laughs> vacationed to the same places. Um, yeah, and they, they didn't even know the other one existed. They, like, were mirrors of each other. Um, and then another example, I guess, that a lot of people talk about is, like, the Simpsons effect. Yeah. Or the Simpsons phenomenon. Simpsons did it first. Yeah. Where people will like go back through like episodes. There's so many episodes of the Simpsons now that like people will reference. Right. Weird circumstances like Trump's election and just crazy well, things. Him going up the escalator and yeah, announcing and, his election. Yeah. Like what very he, precise yeah. prediction that uh, the Simpsons uh, did. And there's, there's a few of them that people have pointed to like, and the, the funny thing, if you want to look it up online is like the Simpsons did it first. Yeah. And in a way it's kind of like predicting the future. Now I'm a bit of a skeptic. So I would argue maybe that when you have that much material yeah, to draw from, like it's just Eventually. something's become inevitable. And the, and the Simpsons does <clears throat> comment on pop culture like a whole lot. Yes. So. so it's not, they're not totally detached yeah. from real life circumstances. Uh, and I think you're seeing a similar phenomenon with South Park too, actually in recent times. And again, South Park has been on for a while. So yeah. you have these like shows that lampoon political topics. And so just on the sheer probability of number of episodes and crazy circumstances that they come up with, um, people will start to match patterns. Yeah. And humans are very good at matching patterns and it goes into the whole thing about, you know, we'll exaggerate the pattern, the things that fit and then we'll downplay things that don't fit. Right. Right. And we'll create this narrative in our mind. Yeah. And that's actually this whole roundabout way of saying like a lot of the hero's journey is very similar <laughs> to that same pattern that people. Well, there's uh, there's a book. Um, there's an author I'm a fan of. I haven't read this one book, though. Uh, Nassim Taleb. Are you familiar with him? No. Okay. He's a, he's like an economist and uh, he used to be a professor <clears throat> and he used to work in finance, but um, he's super interesting and he wrote a bunch of big books. Like one of them was called The Black Swan. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of some of these concepts, but I yeah. Uh, the other was um, Anti-Fragile, I think it was called, uh, uh, or Anti-Fragility. And then uh, the... Um, but one book he wrote was called Fooled by Randomness and how uh, people think that like events in markets and in economies are like it's all connected and there's all the like you can you can actually predict it with any certainty. And he his sort of thesis is like, no, it's actually just like a really random and you, you're just like interposing your sort of preconceived notions about uh, what is happening and like sort of filtering <clears throat> it through that. Um, so uh, he, he sort of talked about this concept a lot where th there's actually just like, especially in financial markets, it's very difficult to predict anything. Uh, <clears throat> and um, a, a lot of times people are actually correct uh, in predicting markets. Um, but if you actually follow those people who predict markets, they predict things all the time that are they just nine, happen nine to times out of, but eventually they get, They'll get it right. right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and it's just like, 
anybody could do that. Anyone could be like an economic predictor because they can just keep making these predictions yeah. and eventually you'll be right about something, yeah. you know, but, and you could also argue the same thing with fortune tellers and like people who can speak right, to the right. dead, right? Like yeah. if you fire enough broad questions at somebody, your, your brain will filter out the things that stick and then you'll filter out the things that don't. Yeah. Right. And, so, yeah. And, and side note to like rabbit trail, but like economics, economic predictions are like notoriously bad like it it is basically like reading tea leaves and if you look at like predictions that people have made they're almost always wrong and it's sort of irrespective of like political uh beliefs or anything it's people who try to make economic predictions are like always very wrong you can you can sometimes if you're very general like yeah. you can sometimes be like generally correct, but again, it's like, I don't know. You can say, well, we're going to get, we'll get over a hundred days of sunlight this year. Right. In this province. And you'll probably be correct most of the time. So I don't know if that, if it's a very good, if you're very good at predicting yeah. by doing that. I always pick my stocks by rolling <laughs> dice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of on the same trend of like, weird happenstances and coincidences um do you know anything about the assassination of franz ferdinand uh, um yeah like i know <clears throat> sort of the history and how it led to world war yeah. one so i'm doing this out of like memory yeah. so i could be wrong on the details or get the details a little mixed up but um so his assassination as you said triggered world war one um he's the emperor and he there was an uh a group of, I believe, Serbian assassins, or it could have been a mixed group of assassins. Um, but they were part of a, an organization called the Black Hand, which is kind of cool. It's very comic booky. Yeah. If it didn't lead to the most disastrous war <laughs> in human history up until that point. Anyways, they um, they they created this big plot to assassinate the emperor while he was in his motorcade. And they had a number of assassins kind of on this parade route uh, to try and take him out. And the first couple of assassins kind of chickened out and didn't make their move from the crowd as they were expected to. That's why they had so many. They were worried someone was going to screw it up or, you know, it would, the plan would backfire or whatever. Uh, but one of them happened to throw a bomb at the car. It was the first attempt. The bomb bounced off the vehicle and detonated behind the, behind the emperor's car into another car of the motorcade. Um, he was arrested. They escaped da- down to... Uh, Somewhere else to kind of like keep the emperor safe. Shortly after that, the emperor was going to go to the hospital to visit the people that were in the first explosion. Just kind of like as a, you know, thanks. It was like security personnel or whatever security detail. Yeah. And on his way there, um, so now they're off route. So they had the typical for security for like any kind of high official. You want like a mapped route. You want to know where everyone's going to be. You want to have all your security kind of providing overwatch of the situation um, to keep your VIP safe. But they had gone off route and gone to this hospital, which kind of screwed up the terrorist plans because they thought that the emperor would go down one route. So after his visit, they left the hospital and went to go back onto the parade route. But the driver made a wrong turn. And when the driver made a wrong turn, I forget, who's the assassin? I, I get his remember. name. No. Yeah. Anyways, the, the guy who ended up killing Franz Ferdinand just happened to be sitting at a cafe (laughs) and his car rolls up in front of him without any security because they went the wrong way. 
So like all the security detail went down the regular parade route and they emperor all alone in his car just parks right in front of his would be assassin just delivered on a silver platter after like a failed attempt earlier. Then he just goes up and shoots him and his wife. So again, like these all, it's almost like if you were looking for a pattern, you could say fate deemed that this was going to happen no matter what. Right. (laughs) It is. I, yeah, honestly, like for my mind and like you were talking about that, um, (coughs) sorry, you were talking about that, um, those twins before. Yeah. It, it seems too coincidental, all those events that they would have. Like, there seems to, in my mind, I, I, I'm more willing to entertain the idea that there's, you know, some sort of something meta going on. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's hard. It's hard to describe. Like, maybe it's God. Maybe it's something extra dimensional or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, when you do hear about stuff like that and even friends and I had heard that story about uh, the assassination of Ferdinand yeah. and uh, yeah, it's, and for, and if you think about world war one, world war one is what set up world war two. Yeah. Like and if you think about world war two, what happened after in the events of world war two, world war two is what led to the, um, uh, where the lines were drawn in the Soviet Union. And if you think about the fall of the Soviet Union, that's what's leading to the war in Ukraine right now. You know, it's like all these things. Yeah, have led up to this <laughs> moment where you now live and are screwing, screwing with your life <laughs> yeah. right now. This guy got killed. I'm making my gas prices unbelievably <laughs> <Yeah>. high. <laughs> we can draw a direct line from the assassination <laughs> of uh, the heir apparent of the Austro-Hungarian throne yeah. to your gas prices right now. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Fate has deemed that we would live in this moment. Yeah. So, yeah, history, if you look through it, like there are crazy circumstances and things like that that seem to follow these weird patterns. Um, another concept that I don't necessarily uh, consider accurate, I guess, is synchronicity. Yeah, that's uh, what I was thinking is like synchronicities. Yeah. So like Jung's idea. Yeah, I'm not big on on Jungian psychology personally. Yeah, but fair enough. For those that are It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I I don't totally buy into it, but if you want to explain it a little bit. Like the synchronicity? Yeah. It's just like <clears throat> um it's like when it could be anything. It's more it's more just like coincidences, but maybe coincidences that are speaking to you in a certain way or are meaningful to you in, in a certain way. Uh, and they'll like pop up, like maybe it'll be, you are just talking about some, some topic and then a friend out of nowhere brings up that same topic the next like, day, the next day or something. Yeah. And they had no idea you were talking about said topic, right? Like yeah. that would be like a synchronicity. Um, but they can be all sorts of things. They can be objects. They can be, yeah. People can, can come to like interpret that to be signs. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and then you, you have like the real life psychological effect. I forget what it's called, but like when you buy a car and suddenly you see that car everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. Like um, pareidolia. Yeah. Pareidolia. Yeah. yeah. So again, the human brain is a master at seeing patterns and chaos. Yeah. And, and like, to be fair, like that's, helped our survival as a species yeah absolutely right? that's, how, that's how we figure out like things like crops and animal migrations and yeah. stuff like that right or looking for patterns we ha- yeah we have to look for these patterns seasonal patterns yeah, and, yeah. So, so that we can survive right yeah so. absolutely um 
but at the same time, there's some weird stuff that maybe isn't totally explained by yeah, your brain imposing a pattern. And there does seem to be a pattern arising out of chaos. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So moving away, I guess, from some of the synchronicity topics here. Um, let's talk about big, bad corporations. <laughs> this comic Indeed. book, again, uh, has a couple of those for us to keep in our mind. Uh, Ad- Adas Corp. Um, is a big one, big uh, medical company. Uh, <laughs> a f- big pharma. <laughs> big uh, A big pharmaceutical company. We wouldn't know anything about <laughs> them being untrustworthy. Uh, and then Zerka Corporation, of course, comes up in this as well, which we know even from yeah, the video obviously. games, they're less than uh, favorable business practices, let's say. Yeah. Um, again, in real life, we do have some big bad corporations. Mitsubishi manufacturing uh, Imperial Japanese jet fighters in World War II. <laughs> Ford uh, being a known uh, collaborator of the Nazis. Yep, Volkswagen yeah, right. <laughs> being actually made by the Nazis and <laughs> currently one of the big uh, biggest car manufacturers in the world. Uh, Hugo Boss uh, being a designer of the Nazi uniforms, also <laughs> being a big brand, fashion brand. And Fanta, which was actually made by the Nazis as a replacement for Coca-Cola after they were embargoed. Man, how do these guys do it? If I do a Hail Hitler, I'm canceled. <laughs> they take <laughs> all your money. fired from my job. <laughs> and then here are these companies that uh, have direct links to, to parties and are some of the biggest companies in the world. So yeah. imagine that. This is that. not fair. I don't uh, like this. Yeah, government and uh, big government and big corporations, big tech and biotech. Never anything wrong with any of that. <laughs> nope. Um, and then one final kind of quick note, um, just from the episode, Celeste Morn, she will be coming up again. Um, she may get her own episode. I don't know if I'm going to tell her story through other episodes, but she has a very interesting arc that goes over multiple eras of Star Wars. Um, so if I didn't give it away yet, no, she's not dead. Um, and she will crop up again later. So for our fans who have listened to us ramble for this far out, uh, just keep your ears open for her in future episodes. Indeed. All right. Let's uh, get into some housekeeping and we'll start with the mailbag. Um, so one of our listeners sent us a message uh, in regards to episode 50, Galactic Corporatism. Um, they had brought up that uh, we sort of neglected a number of large corporations, which is probably true. I think some of them um, I did t- speak about, but maybe we didn't really spend that much time on them. Uh, so Jefferson, um, he said uh, some of the big ones, he said we we didn't really talk about the mining guild. Um, uh, what was another one here? The banking clan. Um, and I don't see any other ones. Cloud here. City, which may which or may not really necessarily be. It's it's almost like a city corporation. So yeah. Well, so like a mining colony. Yeah. Really. So like That's, how much. To be fair, like the whole thing could be owned and operated almost like an oil and gas. Um, yeah. I guess you could say refining. Maybe. Yeah. Camp, but it's more permanent. 
Um, but we did mention, we definitely talked about Cloud City and its makeup in the Lando Calrissian episode. Yes, we we have mentioned it in previous episodes. Um, I, I, I have to go back and look at that episode. I believe I did mention the, uh, the mining guild. And I think the banking clan, if I remember correctly, uh, was very tied into the Trade Federation. And yeah. so... I, it it's almost like mentioning one and the other the like i guess they are two separate entities but they seem to like use like the trade federation use the banking clan um to sort of fund a lot of their operations so uh i don't know yeah i i will also say um it seemed a bit redundant to talk a whole lot about the banking clan also a lot of these corporations are pretty heavily featured through the clone wars which is also where we're going to get to with them so there's no point like talking about all of them when we're just going to mention them again when we discuss things like the separatist alliance and like a lot of them are where these groups are mentioned and where they come from so just hang tight we'll get to them eventually yeah um he also mentions westar who manufactured jango fett's blasters and um cad bane's guns as well again also star wars has so many companies like there's we could literally just sit here and lot. read a list yeah. of companies <laughs> to you but that wouldn't make for very engaging. a lot of them listening. have like significant props in universe that are yeah like every ship every <laughs> <Yeah>. item <laughs> has a manufacturer which i love i love the depth that <laughs> yeah. star wars goes to but like if i'm just gonna sit here and read names of companies to you i don't know if you'd necessarily want to yeah. sit through that so yeah, that that's all I would say about that. Um, yeah, w- we probably could have spent more time on like the mining guild and stuff for sure. I I don't necessarily. I, I think we're gonna they're gonna come up again yeah. again with the CIS and a lot of future episodes. There's these episodes unless we make them like five hours, ten hours long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, we kind of have to condense and like sort of pick and choose what hills we're gonna die on. Yeah, right? and then if there is something we want to bring up again later, we definitely can. So. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, we got another one from Robin, um, and she was uh, he or she, not sure. Sorry <laughs> if I misgendered you. Uh, uh, they they were bringing up uh, the Yuzhan Vong, um, and uh, we're mentioning specifically because we were talking about how fast it w- or how long it would take to travel from one galaxy to another, even at light speed. It seems to be. I can't really fathom how you could uh, how you could do it, but here uh, I'll just sort of read some of the 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 email. Um, you say that traversing the distance between galaxies and centuries is unreasonable. This is not necessarily true, depending on the speed they travel at. Since Star Wars, the Star Wars universe has its own version of general relativity theory of universal reference. We can assume that they have similar relativistic rules to us. <laughs> Time dilation is pretty well known. Less known is length contraction. In short, the faster you move, the shorter you perceive distances to be. You can look up graphs of this easily. If you move at 90%, the speed of light, the apparent length is about 45% of the original length. So maybe half of what. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not very good at uh, math or science, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, I do know of like the theory of relativity and and somewhat understand. Uh, 
I don't know, Christian, what do you think? Do you think that uh, that's a plausible argument that like the actual the time that the people who are traveling are experiencing is much shorter than the than the actual time that me waiting for them to arrive to me is? Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of <laughs> hard to put into words. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Like this is all theoretical physics, man. Like yeah. We, I'm not a physicist. People will argue for and against, and both are equally plausible to me because I just hear a lot of math and science that yeah. I don't understand fully. <laughs> and I think the people putting forward these arguments probably have like, you know, for and against elements of each of their theories. So I I guess I'm going to say I withhold my opinion because I'm not well enough educated on it to make an opinion. Yeah. All we'll say is perhaps there is a plausible way for someone, for a species to travel between galaxies uh, where they wouldn't go completely extinct in the process. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting thoughts. Thanks, Robin. Uh, also, um, we just wanted to... Give a big shout out to all of our uh, new patrons. Uh, one of them, Mike, has upped his pledge. Thank you, Mike. And then another new patron is, I like this name, Voltstag. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's your real name, but thank you very much for becoming a patron. And thanks to all our patrons because you help us pay for this and pay the bills and uh, keep the show going. We're also working our way through a backlog of messages. I know there's a couple of you out there that still haven't gotten responses. <laughs> Please hang in there. I am very sorry. Yeah. We got a lot of stuff going on in our personal lives. Uh, yeah. And um, for me, uh, I'm having my wife is expecting any day now as of recording this. Uh, it's about mid-March right now. We're recording mid-March 2022. And she's expecting our second son second son of a second son because <laughs> uh -oh. i am a second son <laughs> uh so uh once that happens uh definitely no guarantees that i will be getting back to you yeah so just bear with us we are and christian had a child like back in november as well yeah so i'm still <laughs> balancing that and a second job which you know if our generous patrons would provide enough that i wouldn't need a second job and could do this full-time or at least part-time that would be fantastic so indeed uh, yeah, but we'll definitely keep trying to get... I know I'm kind of slow, but I still try to... Yeah, especially like... We the, see you, we know you're yeah. there, and we feel really bad that you're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, and... But, it, you know, keep reaching out to us, uh, keep connecting to us, email, uh, direct message on any of the socials, also on our Discord. Also, if you're having issues with the Discord server, just give us a message. <clears throat> Always seem to have trouble with the link, um, and we'll try and give you... Uh, an updated link if you can't find one that works all right um i think that's it yeah let's get out of here I, we're both feeling a little sick too i might add which is bad when you're in a rat cool infested area <laughs> it could be a sign of something worse indeed peace